0: week we're going to talk about a really cool new open source brewing project this week we're going to talk about brew bubbles brew bubbles is a do-it-yourself build-your-own electric airlock that can essentially tell you when your fermentation is started and ended so we're going to have lee on the show and we're going to talk to him about brew bubbles this week on homebrewing diy Drop a magnetic scrubber into your carboy and be able to scrub away all of the grime in that hard-to-clean cruising. They are no match for Scrubber Duckies, and you can get yours today at scrubberduckies.com. Once again, head over to scrubberduckies.com. Have you ever wanted to make a podcast? Do you have a subject you want to discuss with listeners? Do you even know where to start? Well, if you want to make a podcast and you want to get started now, I could not recommend Anchor enough. Anchor is the easiest way to make a podcast. Anchor gives you everything you need in one place for free, which you can use right from your phone or computer. Creation tools allow you to record and edit your podcast, so it sounds great. They'll distribute your podcast for you, so it can be heard everywhere, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and many more. And you can easily make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. Hey, look, I shopped around for a place to post my podcast, and Anchor was the easiest, most streamlined experience you could ask for. So if you're looking for a place for your new podcast, download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Once again, Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. And welcome back to Homebrewing DIY, the podcast that takes on a do-it-yourself aspect of homebrewing. Gadgets, contraptions, and parts, this podcast covers it all. On this week's show, we're talking to Lee Bussey. He's back on the show, and we're going to talk about his new project that he actually teased a year ago when we talked about BrewPie Remix. It's called Brew Bubbles, and it's a do-it-yourself, open-source, electric airlock that you can make, and it's a very, very simple and easy project. So we're going to dive into that this week. But first, I'd like to thank all of our patrons over at Patreon. It's because of you that this show can come to you week after week. Head on over to patreon.com forward slash homebrewingdiy, or you can go to the website homebrewingdiy.beer, and you can click on the support tab. There you'll find a link to our Patreon. You'll also find a link to coffee that's ko-fi forward slash homebrewingdiy, and there you can give one-time support if monthly is a little too stiff for you. That being said, thank you to all of our supporters. It's because of you that this show can come to you week after week. And if you give at the $5 level right now, we currently have a special where we're giving away a free gift from our ad sponsor, Scrubber Ducky. So head on over to patreon.com forward slash DIY. Another way to support the show is by writing us a review. Head over to podchaser.com or if you're listening to us on Apple, just scroll to the bottom and leave us a five-star review. Your reviews are going to help this show get found by other homebrewers. The last way to support the show is by using our sponsor links. So if you're going to buy a brew bag from brewinabag.com, just head over to our website, click on the banner, and let them know that we sent you. Also, if you're going to buy Brewfather or do your shopping, get adventures in homebrewing, those are places that you can use our sponsor links and get a really great piece of equipment and support the show. So head over to homebrewingdiy.beer and use the sponsor links. A little update on what's going on in my brewery. I brewed with my mash and boil system on Sunday, And I brewed a pseudo Oktoberfest. I'm pretty excited about this beer. I use the Oslo Kvike yeast, and I normally would, would have done this with a starter, just like when we were talking in our episode where we were talking about harvesting yeast. This was actually harvested Kvike of the Oslo strain. And I just threw it in dry. I was like, hey, I want to see if this works and if it throws off any fruit flavors or anything like that. So I just did about a tablespoon right into the fermenter just as soon as I was done. I I fermented in a keg this time. And it did take about a day to get going. I would say it took a little over 24 hours to to get going. And it was a a 1060 beer. I went to bed and it just started. I woke up the next day and it was already fermented down to ten nineteen and then by the end of today it was already down to ten sixteen. So this thing is crazy. It's it's definitely really, really fast yeast and it's now probably in the process of cleaning itself up. So we'll see. I, I'm probably gonna cold crash this by Thursday and I brewed it on Sunday and just crazy how fast Kvike is. So highly recommend giving out the pseudo lager with Kvike a try. So we'll we'll see how it tastes. Well let's jump into this week's episode. We're going to talk to Lee Bussey and we're going to talk to him about his new project brew bubbles. I'd like to welcome Lee Bussey to the show. He you might remember he's, he's in a previous episode where we talked about his current support for the project of brew pie remix we have him back on the show because in in that previous episode, Lee had talked about a new project that he was working on, and we would see it in the future. And that project has since come out. He's he's now invented a open source project called Brew Bubbles, and uh, I'd like to welcome Lee to the show. Hi, hi, Lee. How are you?
1: Hey, I'm doing well, Colter. Thanks for having me again.
0: Oh, it's it's always my pleasure, and and welcome back to Homebrewing DIY. I'm I'm pretty excited. To ha- you're you're one of the Like, I think you're only the second guest I've had back for a repeat episode. So I'm I'm excited to have you back. So basically, you're working on a new project in general. And why don't you just give me a bit of an idea of what the new project you have is called Brew Bubbles. Why don't you give me an idea of of what you're trying to solve there? Sure.
1: Well, um, you know, the very first thing Uh, that a a new brewer says, if you're on the homebrew forums, you've seen it a million times. Uh, A a Google search gave me 1.5 million results in less than a half a second. How long does it take for homebrew to bubble? It's a top search. It tells me it's something that weighs heavily on new brewers. It's a very common question, as I said, but the common answers really suck. Uh, When I looked around at homebrew talk, I got bubbles don't mean anything. The classic, relax, don't worry, have a homebrew, just forget about it and it'll happen. And and these answers are really horrible if you are the person that's worrying about the first batch. Uh, The new brewer will typically get up an hour earlier than normal, rush to the fermenter. Uh, You know, there's that inevitable stumbling around the garage in the underwear scene. (laughs) I I think I even took my first day uh, of work off after I brewed a, a homebrew just to sit there at home and, and wait for that bubble and I know others have done that So there has to be a better answer then it doesn't matter
0: fast as yeah, it does i completely agree I, I i feel like and even to this day i've been brewing for a decade now and even then if i've brewed a batch and i and you and i we both have like tilt hydrometers we could totally see when the fermentation starts i still go out there and check and see how it's doing with and i look at the bubbles like that is something you look at
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, it's the most entertaining part about it, except for, you know, watching your friends get a little bit lit after having <laughs> drank MGD for their entire lives. But, you know, yeast only does two things. Even with the Tilt, which is a fantastic product, that takes a little bit of time before it starts fermenting. And that gravity starts coming down. Yeast only does two things it makes CO2 and alcohol. So that's one of the things I wanted to be able to capture. Uh, I also wanted this to be a beginning brewer project, right? Something that was obtainable, something that wasn't very lofty, didn't require having oscilloscopes and an engineering background. That also meant that if the guy doesn't keep brewing, you know, it's it's not so painful to not have used that piece of technology. So, if this answers a question that a beginning brewer can have, why not make it? something that beginning brew gadgeteer can handle before they start collecting all of these other projects. So approachable financially from a technology standpoint, but I wanted it to have something for advanced brewers too. Uh, For instance, winemakers who ferment in more ambient conditions can use this to track information about their brew. And, And that is the ability to trend fermentation rate, fermentation temperature, and chamber temperature. So we're watching bubbles, obviously, and there have been other attempts to do this. SparkFun had something dating back to 2009, I believe it was. Uh, A gentleman by the name of Paul Elam listed something in 2014, I believe it was in Instructables, and Hackaday had an article in 2015. All of those had the same thing in common, rubber bands, and, and I'm I'm being serious about that. Hackaday one the solution to mounting this was rubber bands, so <laughs> it wasn't a particularly attractive solution. Then Plato comes along, right? These guys took that idea and took it to eleven on the dial, so a very successful Kickstarter for them, uh, and it was unique in that it created evenly spaced bubbles. Uh, it was a very nice package as form factor. But it still depends on someone else's cloud and the very important thing is if they released in 2017 and we have these other efforts dating back to 2009 it relied on prior art so uh, i'm not really infringing upon anyone's patent here plato has a great product and if you want to buy something i think you should buy that however if you want to make something this is a great way to do it Uh, a gentleman by the name of matridium on homebrew talk Kind of got me thinking about this. He used something very similar in an academic sort of uh, venue in 2005. But what separates this from the rest of these, uh, except for Plato, of course, is that this is fully baked. If you follow these instructions, it's a deterministic path. When you get to the end, you have something you can use. It doesn't leave off with the inevitable and this was my idea, so I'd really like to see what you guys do with it. I want somebody to know what it's going to look like when they're done. So none of the searching for cases, none of the searching for electronics, and boards, and how do you mount it or, or worse, um, you know, rubber bands and wires hanging off your fermenter. That's not what I was looking for.
0: Yeah, I think that's a really great approach. I, I love a lot of the existing projects that are out there in the open source world but it seems to me you thought this out into a a process in a way that actually makes this a fully full-baked project right from not just the software not just the hardware it's kind of hey these are simple components that you can get from anywhere you can make this this project but the idea is that anybody it's approachable and approachable in a way that you you don't have a lot of people scouring forums for information that's not there, right?
1: Absolutely right. It has to be easy. It has to be something that you can see the beginning, the middle, and the end before you start because we want to know what it looks like. We're brewing beer. We know what beer turns out like, but we don't know what this electronic project turns out to be. So if I can't show a picture of it working, then... How can that person who is new to beer, new to electronics, now envision how that's going to work for him or her?
0: Yeah, I love the approach. Well, what are some of the underlying technologies behind the Brew Bubbles project?
1: You know, like a lot of projects that we have now, uh, not just in home brewing, but uh, you know, it's uh, indigenous, I suppose, to the the controller subculture. Is this ESP8266 controller? Uh, it's built on a dev board which is to say that it is very easy to work with it has connections that are easy to solder Uh, and it's built around this wemos d1 mini board very common form factor Uh, it's the size of a large postage stamp it's very inexpensive Uh, and since we're counting bubbles we need a way to count them so we use a photo interrupter and this again is not something that is incredibly innovative Uh, drop counters are widely used in chemistry and manufacturing, count parts. We'll throw in a couple DS18B20 one-wire sensors, which is a mouthful, but it's really just a a very inexpensive temperature sensor that comes in an easy-to-use form factor. It's already got its leads on there, so you can just connect the wires to your board. Um, And a a handful of what's called passives, which are just capacitors and resistors, three of each, I believe. Very simple. There's a web page. It's responsive on mobile. There's no app needed. You don't have to trust me to install side-loaded applications on your phone and break your warranty or anything like that. (laughs) Uh, And most importantly, it doesn't run on someone else's cloud. And that's really the problem with some of these homebrew-related projects out there great ideas, great execution in a lot of cases, but if it doesn't take off, the person who's footing the bill for that cloud presence is just going to stop paying for it and it goes away. So you have an app that no longer works and your your data is gone.
0: Couldn't agree more with that particular sentiment. And, and, and I will always, when we're having this conversation about the cloud connectivity, I, I like it when they have connectivity to the cloud but I don't like it when they rely on the cloud to actually function, right? And I and I always bring back the old brew bug, which was a really right. cool product and a very expensive product. It was a it was, I believe, around $250 for the brew bug product. And people footed that bill, they pushed hard and marketed it really hard. And then one day they went out of business, and every single brew bug that was in the wild all of a sudden became a brew don't. They just didn't work. And yep, the, the brew brick. Yeah. A brew brick. Exactly. And, and because it relied so heavily on that cloud, it just didn't have the ability to work. And so, and, and when we look at other products, like the tilt hydrometer I'll use as a great example, it's a piece of hardware you buy and it's not, it, it too is not inexpensive. They're $135 a piece. But on the other hand of that, you the, the data that streams from it can be put to any cloud device you want. And so that, to me, is what really makes it such a great approach to uh, a product, right? Right.
1: And that does set the bar for a fully packaged and usable system. Uh, you know, Noah really thought about a lot. Going into this thing, and uh, they really did an excellent idea, so when I think of project, I, I look at and actually I look at it three feet away from me because it's sitting right next to me uh, that's a It's a great project
0: it so, is yeah
1: well, you know I, so the last thing about this technology, I guess, is why why bubbles, right? Because back to the they don't matter, relax, don't worry, have a homebrew. the thing is. Bubbles do mean fermentation. I take a lot of heat for this. And actually, on one of the forums when I released, these guys just opened both barrels of the flamethrower on me, thinking I was trying to sell a commercial product. I'm not. Uh, so if bubbles didn't matter, then Play-Doh wouldn't work. Play-Doh obviously works. If you take the example of a just a standard American ale, uh, 1050 original gravity, 1012 final gravity comes in at about 5% alcohol. By the time you're done in your five-gallon batch, you've got 960 grams of ethanol. One mole of CO2 creates one mole of ethanol. So uh, you don't have to even know what a mole is. You just have to know that there is a correlation there, one-to-one, between ethanol and CO2. If you want to do the math, and nobody does, but I did, there are about 275,000 standard airlock bubbles during that fermentation period. And if that's true, we can count them. And if we can count them, we can do something with it. Now, I'm not saying brew bubbles is on par with Play-Doh where you where know, you can trend the gravity of your brew as it goes through fermentation. It's possible to do that. Play-Doh guys also solved for making very uniform bubbles. So if a person wants to extend this project, it's there. Uh, I'd like to see somebody take it. But right now, th- all this does is it gives you a relative approach to the bubbles being produced. And I've seen some great graphs. Guys on Homebrew Talk have posted theirs from Brewfather, which was very gracious and, and uh, worked with me to develop support. Brewer's Friend also uh, graphing capabilities there. So it does create very usable data.
0: Well, and to me, it's even an estimation is better than nothing, right? And so the idea for me, and, and I'll give you a great example. One of the big questions people are always trying to solve for is, hey, is my beer finished? Can I package it, right? And the way you did it before was like, hey, I think it's done. I'll give it a few more days. And having some sort of data, even if it's an estimation, is better than just weight, right? At least that's the, the way I look at it. And, and a great example, going back to products such as Tilts and, and the Play-Doh, because they have graphing that can kind of tell you where, where your beer is and if it's close to being finished, it, it just allows you to kind of understand the trends of where a beer, where, where a beer is in its fermentation process and whether it is really done or not. And I think that, that that's really what people wanna know, right, wouldn't you agree?
1: Oh, exactly, yeah, folks, whether they believe it or not, are really good at things like calculus. Uh, and, and my father would laugh, he's laughing somewhere in heaven right now for me saying that, but if you look at a graph, you can kind of extrapolate where it is a graph is going, assuming you know, it's, a, it's a smooth enough graph to look at. So if you have your data, you can look at it and make a really reasonable assumption where you are on your fermentation curve, just based on the relative frequency of bubbles. And as I look at these user submitted graphs, I see that repeated in their work as well. So even if you don't think you know calculus, you've got an incredible set of intelligence clicking away in the back of your head that can interpret something visual like that and be able to derive very good information from
0: it. I, I think that's a Way better way of explaining it than the long winded way I just tried to. So, yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, somebody's uh, eyes glazed over when I said calculus. So hopefully they made <laughs> it through that.
0: <laughs> but, but it's completely true. I think that when you have the data in front of you and you can discern something from it and it's in the form of a graph, it helps you make better choices and decisions. Uh, I, I think that one of the big problems that people have, especially when you're a new home brewer is you're impatient. You want, this thing to work, and you want to baby it. And as you become more experienced, you kind of just let things ride, and you kind of get used to how the process just let the process happen. But when you're a new brewer specifically, you want to baby the thing, and having some data behind it and having a chart is going to really help you make just better choices and and less likely to screw up your beer. at least that's yep, the way I
1: yep absolutely. And I, I got an email from a person. It doesn't have to be just beer, for instance. I built this around counting bubbles but I had a chat with a gentleman who is using this to track his, this is gonna sound horrible, so I'll explain it quickly afterwards, salami chamber. He built a chamber in which he hangs salami and it has to cure for a period of time. So he wanted to trend the temperature of that chamber. So completely passive, it's just watching, but he's able to pick up his phone in the middle of the night and take a look at it. Yes, my salami chamber is fine. I'm not going to make any of the jokes that are coming to mind now.
0: Oh, totally. So. But but the idea is like, but like, even then you look at like charcuterie cheese, you look at, uh, you look at things like making yogurt, all of these things that are, have these biological processes that are happening, having data to know what's going on in something that you kind of just done by, you know, Hey, this is the way it goes. And I just have to trust the process. It's nice to have some sort of underlying data to help you make choices. Exactly. And in the
1: case of winemakers, where they're more about their ambient conditions, uh, the ter- terroir, if you, if you will, for the fermentation, they can look back and see what happened during the fermentation. So I've got a great wine here. How would I do this again and look at what happened?
0: Exactly. and And I can also look at when you have these certain charts, here's the one thing that I've correlated after using a device that's giving me really good data on fermentation is you start to see the curve of yeast, like a specific strain of yeast is going to have a different curve than a different strain of yeast. And and, uh, I'll, uh, let's go with some dry strains, right? Like an SO4 tends to start a fermentation and then just like crash after two days. and, And it like, just chews through sugar really, really fast. Whereas an SO5, is going to have a much uh, a steeper slope in in the in the data stream, right? And so, uh, I mean, a much more gradual slope in the data stream. And so, yep. it, it it it's it's weird. And then you throw a logger yeast in there, and that even becomes a much more gradual slope. And so, the idea is that each individual yeast kind of has its own chart, if that makes any sense. And you can almost look at the type of yeast and look at the chart. And depending on the beer, it is always the same. It's, it's kind of crazy when you think about it that way.
1: It is. And you know that, that data is important. As you're pointing out, you're watching the chart. The, the information you see right now, is really only important when it's next to the information you got before. So yes. a doctor uh, that I work with explained this once to me, and it's, it's a terribly disgusting analogy, but he says, look at your poop. If you look at it once, it's poop. If you look at it every time, you know if something's going on in your body, that's different. So that, that's going to stick with everybody now because it's stuck with me. But the same way with your yeast. You know, if you saw the fermentation in the, the days past and you can see today where it is and know what your beer is doing and where your beer is in its life cycle.
0: Exactly. Uh, what, what, how does Brew Bubbles think? I, I guess the better way to say is how, how does the software actually think and determine like, how does it count?
1: Yeah, that's, that's a great question. I mean, Brew Bubbles does, it takes care of three questions, I guess. So when I sat down to design this, that's really the three things I typed into my development environment were, were the comments. Uh, what's the temperature? Because it does trend to temperatures. Did I see a bubble? Did a bubble pass in front of this photoreceptor? And then does anyone care? So what's the temperature is easy. I've got two temperature sensors, and I'm polling these every couple of seconds. And then because we like to see nice, pretty data, we smooth it out. We average that over about a minute. And then I just keep that internally. The bubbles, same thing. Uh, If you sit and watch your airlock, and everyone does, you know that there is sort of a cycle there sometimes. If I ferment with one of my plastic fermenters, for instance, they kind of breathe, you know, I think they almost expand and then exhale. So they get that rhythmic, blah, 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 blah. A glass fermenter is very smooth, but I'm doing the same thing with the bubbles. I'm smoothing them out. And I take a bubbles per minute reading, doing just really simple math in there. And then comes the part, does anyone care? Every so often a timer clicks off in the software and says, hey, did this person who built Brew Bubbles tell me to send the data anywhere? If yes, send it. The web page sits there. The other part, you don't need to send it anywhere. And it just updates every minute. It goes and pulls that data and just takes and presents it for the user. Temperature, fermentation temperature, bubbles per minute. That's it. It answers very simple questions three of them in this case
0: that's awesome and you, you gave me a list of all the parts and let's say i went and uh, sourced all those parts how long does it take to build one what's what's the, what's the timeline is it something i could do in a couple hours what what does that look like
1: oh yeah yeah um you know so there's two different ways to go about getting the parts of course there is a uh i call them two different kinds of shoppers there's the aliexpress shopper who takes about two months, three months sometimes to collect things because they're going to get them as cheaply as possible. And that in itself is an interesting hunt. And then there is the Amazon Prime shopper. And maybe you'll get some money from me saying Amazon Prime, but there's Amazon Prime shoppers that want it right now. So on the low end of the scale, I've been able to put the parts for this together in, for about $6 actually each, if you're making three or four of them at a time. That assembly is about a three on a 10 scale. So if you're as old as I am, you might have bought a crystal radio kit at Radio Shack. And you and your father may have sat down and put that thing together in about 10 minutes, which is the attention span of a kid, let's face it. (laughs) So the time it takes is a 10-year-old's attention span. So if you know nothing about it, Uh, And you've got the web pages open and you're looking at the pictures and things like that because I tried to present enough information that a person new to a soldering iron could do this thing. I really think that a person who knew his way around wire clippers could do it in less than 20 minutes. It takes me less than five minutes to put one together now. Uh, At the most, your person will be up and running within an hour. And And I think that's a real low investment for the return
0: that That is a really low investment uh it, are there any special tools that are needed, like you you mentioned a soldering iron? Are there any other special tools you need?
1: Yeah, good question. If you're gonna do this, I think a soldering iron is definitely a good one is definitely a must. You can buy one again. AliExpress shoppers can do a soldering iron for about five bucks. You will enjoy a good soldering iron better. so if you have one, great. If you don't have one. Get a cheap one. See if you even like doing electronics projects. So there's that. You'll need uh, some small diagonal cutters to trim the leads. Um, And these things are optional. But as I said, I wanted to present the entire thing. You know, What does it look like when it's done? So I do provide a 3D model intended to be printed on a 3D printer. So if you have a 3D printer, great. If you don't have one. I would suggest posting on Homebrew Talk in the thread and see if there's somebody there who might want to make you one. I'd be perfectly fine with sending you know, a, a couple of parts out for people, whatever. There's always an option for a 3D printer. You can pay for it to be done. Or at the extreme low end of the spectrum, there are those, heaven forbid, rubber bands. You really can just <laughs> connect this to your airlock with a rubber band. And the last tool that I really like and I use a lot of in all my projects is a DuPont crimper. And this is the little 2.54 millimeter pitch pins and holes. If you look at an Arduino, for instance, um, that's the the pitch of the holes along the headers. Being able to crimp those things makes it a lot easier. You do not need to do that, though. Uh, Putting the pins on there is great if you want to be able to disconnect the sensors but you can solder the leads from the temperature sensors directly to the boards. That's like I say, completely optional. And that's it. Uh, and a magnifying glass. If you have my eyes.
0: Yeah. But that, when it comes to those tools, they're, they're very easily easy to find and inexpensive. Uh, I personally have a really, really nice. I, I have a really nice soldering iron with the heat gun and the whole deal, all digital and even then, and, and I think that that was pretty expensive, it was $35. It wasn't very expensive. So it, it's something where the, they're in comparison to having to buy power tools or anything like that, this is very, very inexpensive set of tools, right?
1: It is, absolutely. And the first time you use a good one where you just tell it what temperature you want and it only takes 30 seconds to heat up, Yep. you you hear that choir of angels and, and you show your you show your spouse who couldn't care less, but you just want to extol the virtues of good tools.
0: My my spouse who couldn't care less of my projects is the story of my life. Yep. But I, you know,
1: buy once, cry once. If you get good tools, you're always going to be able to find a use for them. Exactly.
0: And, and then one thing I you you also mentioned is a brew father and brewer's friend. Are there any types of like what what projects does this like like software projects or cloud services does this project integrate with
1: well it's intended to be very generic uh, so of course maintaining brewpy rumix i've got that sitting next to me so that was the very first thing i sent to uh Track. I, I spoke to john actually i need him needled him a little bit earlier this morning about hey when are you going to get this done but he swears he's going to get it done so Track. <laughs> You know, maybe he'll have that done by the end of his vacation. Brewers' friend, brew father. Um, and because it, stands, it sends a standard JSON payload, which is just data with braces around it, you can send to any number of cloud providers. So, you know, there are all kinds of places out there to which you can send your information. Um, I haven't even heard of some of them uh, Google Sheets or, or anything, you know. Anything you can dream of, you can send it into your home automation and and ask your home automation. I'm not going to say the word because she's sitting right next to me. It'll make a noise when I say her name. But, you know, so-and-so, what is my fermentation rate? It tells me back my fermentation rate. You can dream it. You can do it.
0: Yeah, that's the cool thing about the .json payload is is that it's just so easy to use with so many different. uh, It's such an easy data stream to pick up on other cloud services. Uh, a lot of people like, for example, use things like eBidots, and they'll use, uh, I, I like Google sheets a lot because Google sheets is easy to get the data into and it makes charts real easy. Like it, if you're <laughs> looking for a really low effort solution and not having to buy any piece of software, Google sheets is always a great option. So, yep. yeah. And, I, and, and I've
1: got it dumping into just, you know, I can read it, uh, using post postman. That's what it's called. It's a uh, open source software where even my Windows laptop can receive the, the JSON and save it off and you know a person who's reasonably proficient in Excel can, you know, store the data there. So you can do it all locally.
0: Yeah, it's pretty it's pretty cool when you think of it in putting it into whatever and and that's why I like that it's not touched to any one cloud provider, right? You don't have to worry about that person building you out an API for somebody to tap into, it's just kind of just spend, sends the data where you want it to go. It's, it's super cool when you think of it that way.
1: Yeah, that's the thing I, I've always tried to stay away from on these projects. Is I don't want any sort of hint that I'm trying to make money off of it because you instantly, first of all, you turn some people off and I get that. And that's not to say that I'm not fully behind people who make money out of things. That's great. I'm I'm glad for that because those are the ones that can really afford to innovate, and you 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 receive a benefit from that innovation. But I don't want to feel obliged, right? If I am done developing Brew Bubbles, I can set it down and walk away, and that sort of ecosystem continues to work. I don't have to maintain a server for people, and I'm not responsible for their data.
0: Well, that, and if you also decided to go the other way somebody could pick up the project and keep going with it right if somebody finds real use in it this is the the cool thing with open source i like to use raspberry pints as an example that was a open source kind of beer display board that could integrate with sensors to kind of tell you how much beer was left in your keg and the guy who actually started that project you know he got busy, couldn't stay with it, and the entire community rallied around it and has continued to maintain it, updating the software to be able to do things like different versions of the Raspberry Pi as, as it's, it's, it's updated. And the idea is that in, even if you decide to drop it with an open source project, if the community really, really likes the project, they can pick it up and start adding to the project as, as, as needed. That's one of my favorite parts about open source.
1: Yep. Well, that's that's obviously how we met, right? With the uh, BrewPie remix. Um, Love yeah. BrewPie and uh, wanted to keep it going. So that's how we got there. So BrewBubbles is released under the MIT license, which is an exceedingly permissive license. You can take it, you can package it, you can sell it. If you want to be a BrewBubble seller or call it something else, you can do all that under the MIT license. The only thing is, you must also release the software
0: yeah so which, the most permissive
1: which, license out there
0: which is totally fine right it, it i i i i love licenses like that and the other part is like for example uh brewpie you've done the brewpie remix to kind of keep the old arduino brewpie alive my neighbor across the street just built a brewblock system which is which is elco's current iteration of brewpie software and he's brewing batches of beer with it it's it's turned out to be a really great piece of software as well And, but it's all still kind of based on that original technology, even though it's kind of gone in many different directions. And it's just so cool to see all of that.
1: Well, the the DNA of the founder is in it, right? So if you look at, look at BrewPi, it's got a way to do things. And that's always been part of, you know, the way Elko thinks. So it makes sense that that's going to come out that way.
0: Yeah. And, and it's funny is that uh, my neighbor who, has his brew block system. He's like, man, this thing ferments like so perfectly. I'm like, yeah, that's the brew pie and it's DNA. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. I can do that with this $4. Uno.
0: Yeah. But you know, he's also mashing with it and doing the whole thing. So it, it, it's, it, it was quite the project. I think he's a, he's now a couple thousand dollars into his brew system, all running on brew blocks. So kind of cool. Uh, well,
1: we all in one way or another, we all owe a lot to Elko and releasing that as an open source project because it really set the standard for the rest of them
0: it really did and it, it set the standard to where you have i think about how many spin-off projects that has you have brew remix you have ferment track you have brew pilus uh and and a whole string of other different pid controllers that are all pretty much based off that same idea right and it's it's kind of crazy uh what speaking of projects, are are you you got any other projects in the works, or are you still are you are you mainly focused on BrewPi Remix and uh, Brew Bubbles?
1: I do, yeah. I mean, last year maybe around this time, I, I tickled uh, Brew Bubbles a little bit. I appreciate the opportunity to do that. So yeah, there is a new project, um, and it's tough to say anything about it and not give it completely away. But it is beer related. I'll give you that. Um, And, you know, I've joined forces. I I mentioned John Beeler and Track. I've joined forces with him on this project. And it combines really the the two most important things from he and I. He says, if you get confused, it's a bug. And and I embrace that wholeheartedly. It's got to be easy to use because I've talked to plumbers on, you know, working with a brew-related project. And those guys have to get it as much as the guy who has a PhD in computer science. Um, electronics and programming should not be a prerequisite to entering into this project. And then the second thing is, and I mentioned this a few times, if after you finish the instructions, if you get to the last page and you have followed diligently that which we've set out for you, if you don't have a finished product, it's not a product. So it's got to be easy, and it's got to be done. It's also going to be something that's modular. So your setup may not be the same as my setup, and I want to allow a spectrum of choices. We've talked about equipment choices, physical physical constraints, and ability levels, and feature needs and wants. So this brewing-related project, and I, I've really said nothing about it, but I'm saying a lot, um, I think it's going to have a very wide appeal and think the concept, and it's not brew blocks, so I'll just cross that one off the list. But just think of that <laughs> same kind of concept, right, where you yeah. take Legos and put them together the way you want. It's going to be able to put things together in ways that maybe John or I didn't even dream of. And hopefully, next year around this time, maybe we'll be talking about that.
0: I, I'm I'm super excited too. I, I feel like uh, it, we're kind of in a in a cool renaissance in the homebrewing world where where and it kind of weird how i i started a podcast based on this is that there is a lot of amazing electronic gadgets and and different types of softwares out there that can really just help with the brewing process that were inaccessible to everyone a decade ago right and so it's kind of amazing to see and it's it's the advent of things like the sp8266 microcontroller uh, arduinos uh, these types of very inexpensive uh, computing boards that can run pretty complex programs but do so in a very inexpensive way it's 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 really cool to see what people are building out of stuff
1: it is i have a, a whole box of controllers sitting next to me but you know there's a common theme there you got the arduino uno esp8266 and the esp32 and in that, you can pull just about anything off.
0: Yeah, and, and you know, if you look at it, here's the way I always explain it to it. The Arduino Uno is, think of it as like a, a serial connection to a microcontroller, right? Uh, the ESP8266, they're like, hey, we've now got some Wi-Fi capability instead of having to be a serial connection, yet yeah, you still can run similar programs. Probably actually has a little bit more memory than the, the Uno as well. And then oh, it has a ton more, yeah. yeah. And then you go into the SP32, which now allows you to have Bluetooth and Wi Fi. And then, and then you get into spark boards that have cell phone connections, right? It's kind of crazy when you think about like being able to, you know, pair it up and get to the internet in all these different ways using these different boards.
1: But still, I've got a, an Uno sitting next to me. So uh, they're not going to go anytime soon. But I've got to say, yeah. after doing remix, where to add a feature, when I added the I2C LCDs, uh, I had to search through the code and delete 27 letters. I'm talking letters like A, B, C, D, E, F, G. I had to find 27 letters to delete from the code in order to be able to fit everything in. That's how tightly packed that is.
0: Yeah, I think that was actually the big reason why Elko moved to the, he moved to the Spark was because he was like, hey, I I can't, I don't want to optimize this anymore for such a small payload, right?
1: I completely understand it.
0: (laughs) But, you know, the thing about an Arduino is the thing is solid. They just work. And I've I've not had an Arduino ever go bad on me, luckily. But, you know, the idea is that they're just solid and they work and they work well.
1: They are. I've let the magic smoke out of a couple of them, but if I leave them <laughs> alone, they work pretty well.
0: Yeah, exactly. There, there's that. Yeah, if you mess with it, you've done it. But if it just sits there and runs its program, they work really, really well. Uh, well, you know, if we were to want to find out more information about Brew Pie Remix and Brew Bubbles, where, where would we find that kind of information?
1: Well, I, I've tried to make that as easy as possible. Uh, Brew Bubbles is on brewbubbles.com. And you can even find the thread for brew bubbles on homebrew talk at support.brewbubbles.com or docs.brewbubbles.com along the same lines, brewpyremix.com support docs, same way, try to make it easy for everyone.
0: That's awesome. And I'll put links to all of that in the show notes so that if you're listening to this podcast, just scroll to the bottom of whatever podcast player, and there'll be links to all of this information to do a deeper dive into some of these really cool projects. Lee, I want to, I want to thank you for coming on the podcast yet again. It's always great to talk to you and you're such a wealth of knowledge when it comes to these technologies. I just, it, 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 really is awesome when we can have you on the show. I
1: appreciate it, Coulter. I appreciate you having me back. And you know, I, I... I said it last time. I think I stand on the shoulders of giants. So I really appreciate everyone that was out there forging the way for us.
0: Exactly. Well, uh, I guess we'll talk to you in a year when you've got your new project out.
1: (laughs) I'll, I'll put it on the calendar.
0: Awesome. Well, thanks Lee. Thank you. I'd like to thank Lee for taking the time to come on this week's show. As always, Lee is super detailed and he's a very good explainer of these types of projects in the audio format. I always love having him on the show. That being said, after our interview, I chatted with Lee a bit and he is sending me over some development boards for a brew pie remix and for a brew bubble system. So keep an eye on my social media and I'll be posting pictures of those builds. That's homebrewing DIY, all one word. I'm on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Other than that, that's it for this week. And we'll be out next week on homebrewing DIY.